Blog Talk Radio. Every horse goes on. We become part of the spiritual army that fights for good on earth and in the universe. And we fight because of the love our humans have for us in this life and the next. 
Glorious Alliance came into this world on April 6, 1992, a daughter of Olympic native and Radiant Dawn. Her pedigree includes the names of racing legends Native Dancer, Man of War, Fair Play, Nasrula, Nyarko, Hyperion, Prince Quillo, and Count Fleet on top and bottom. Glory's racing career spanned only 12 starts at 2-3 and and then was cut short by a tendon injury. A bout of colic and life-saving surgery dashed the beautiful, intelligent mare's chance to become a broodmare. Her second career began in 2004 when Karen Greninger spotted Glory, who was occupying herself as a lesson horse. Kay, or the redhead, saw Glory's potential and gave her a new home, where Glory blossomed. In 2005, the partnership began show jumping, eventually traveling beyond California. They also competed in dressage at the training level. In 2012, Glory began developing her voice and took her unique personality to Twitter, delighting followers with her words of wisdom and inspirational, motivational musings on her life as the head mare in charge of the pasture. The Pasture Bar website and Twitter account soon followed, and Glory, in 2014, published Bedtime Stories from the Pasture, a thoroughbred horse's magical musings about life, love, and spirituality. Glory passed away after a brief illness on November 1, 2019. She survived by her loving caretakers, K and J, Smoothie, America's Emotional Gelding, Suki, Thelma, Heathcliff, Emily, Dante, and Johnny, along with all creatures great and small, on her beloved ranch. On a personal note, Glory's flyover of Baton Rouge and her admiration of Mike Seven, LSU's res- resident tiger, is a gift from Glory that I will cherish forever. Rest well, sweet mare. All right, good evening and welcome to Clear and Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where a home man thought stealing a motorized cart to get from bar A to bar B and telling the police that he took the cart to avoid another DWI were good ideas. Bryce Kendall Williams has been charged with unauthorized use of a movable, a felony that carries the potential for a $5,000 fine and up to two years in prison. I'm joined by Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where the Fort Smith Police Department has sworn in its first feline member. Officer Fuzz will represent the city of Fort Smith and its animals. Thank you for joining us for Episode 37, State of Texas versus Christopher Daniel Dunch. In the second installment of our Mad Doctors Cases, We'll talk about Dunch, a Dallas, Texas neurosurgeon whose medical career ended in 2013 when his license was revoked by the Texas Medical Board after the the deaths of two patients and serious injury to multiple patients at different hospitals, all within a two-year period. We'll talk about the charges filed against Dunch, why the charges were filed, his trial, conviction, and sentence, and his direct appeal. We are a live show, and calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael. 
Good evening, Lisa. That didn't How go as planned. Yeah, pretty good. I've seen these messages. Yeah, you should keep that open. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, I've got to, I've got to be looking at uh, everything else. I apologize. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, remember, I know how to run this thing without you. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I know before we get started that you wanted me to remind you to do the the updates. Yes, because we have neglected those over the last couple of weeks. Um, Not a whole lot has has been going on. Um, Brendan Dassey has filed a request for clemency with Governor Evers in Wisconsin. Uh, Brendan wrote a personal heartfelt letter to Governor Evers, and if you have a chance to read it online, it's like he was writing to a friend who was at camp. Right. Um, So uh, I wasn't really that impressed. Uh, And then Rodney Reed, of course, his execution is still scheduled for 11 for November 20th. Uh, He has he filed a motion for execution stay at the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which was denied. Um, Mm -hmm. The state has filed a response to his motion to withdraw his execution date in the Bastrop County Court. Um, Once I get a copy of that, I will uh, fill everybody in on the details. A clemency letter was sent by Innocence Project. They have also sent a request for a commutation of his sentence and hearing on his mm-hmm. uh, actual innocence claims because more witnesses have come out of the woodwork. Uh, two have come out saying that Jimmy Finnell made statements at the time just prior to Stacy's murder and then at the funeral that led them to believe that he killed her. Um, these statements bothered them very much, but not enough for them to report them in 1996, which huh. absolutely baffles me. And then Why? a man who claims he was in prison with Fennell, uh in about 2010, 2011, Claims Fennell admitted to killing Stacy to him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the guy is unfortunately, I think for Reed, he's a convicted forger, a convicted thief. They are generally not seen as credible witnesses. And right. um, he's also a former uh, a former member of the Aryan Brotherhood in prison, he claims. Wow! So uh, this guy yeah. is just the top of the top. I mean, he's a Boy Scout. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, those those factors are going to impact his credibility. Great. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm um, sure so yeah, we shall see. And then the last thing is in Adnan Syed. Of course, the state did file its opposition to his writ request at the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, he, his attorneys have filed a reply brief. So mm-hmm. also Rodney Reed's petition uh, at the U.S. Supreme Court 
Um, that is scheduled for conference on November 15th. Okay. Everything has been filed, the opposition, a reply. I think a reply is going to be filed, but it has not been filed I yet. I've been closely, so <laughs> remind me of that date again. When's his uh, execution date? Uh, 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 November 20th. So we are really – we're – in the heat of things, aren't we? What, it's November 5th now? November 5th, yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, and we do have our, right yeah, and we, we do have our show that night. We're going to, we're going to do the show on Wednesday the 20th. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, whether if he gets a stay, as I've told several people, I suspect he will either get a stay from the U.S. District Court um, mm-hmm. because he does have the civil rights claim related to pending. DNA testing pending, um, and he may get a, a stay from the U.S. Supreme Court if they do what they did with his last writ and don't actually conference it on November 15th. Huh. So, okay. so um, we shall then, you know, I, uh, well, I, I just don't see how the, the section 1983 civil rights claim could possibly not get him to stay. Right. And as you know, and, and that's because his attorneys did not file it until the last possible moment. There's a possibility that they filed it late. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. They requested a rehearing after the uh, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals eventually denied or rather affirmed the denial of testing by the trial court. And in some instances when you're calculating time, uh, when it's an extraordinary or a discretionary remedy – a request for a rehearing or reconsideration doesn't count. Right. Time starts to run on the date the the initial decision is handed down. And that particular issue has gotten many a a civil attorney, plaintiff or defense, into hot water because they thought when the reconsideration was denied, that's when the clock started to run for them. Okay. And that was not the so, case. So, I mean, really, really one of the big things <clears throat> we're arguing about now is timing. Correct. And okay. like I said, while I do believe that, you know, his attorneys waited until the last possible minute, in other words, the first week of October, so that they could basically get a stay or guarantee getting mm-hmm. a stay – um, I I don't know whether the the U.S. District Court will factor that in to consideration on the stay issue. Okay. Hmm. So. Huh. We'll wait and see. Okay. I mean, that's due process. I. I don't agree with it. I don't necessarily like it because I don't think it's equitable for Stacy's family. Right. 
to have one date set that stayed just a few days before. Five years go by. More media comes out. More spurious allegations about Stacy are being made or repeated. And then he gets another stay and another five years are going to go by. Right. Well, and I mean, I just... I'm to the point where one way or the other, I want to see this thing resolved. Whether, you know, he gets commuted to life or whatever, or what have you. I just want to see this thing resolved. I'm kind of exhausted with it at this point. Yeah, well, I I don't want to see it commuted to life because then there's a possibility that he will get out. Because there was no life without parole in Texas. So he served 21 years. He would be eligible in 16 years wow. for parole. Oh. And yeah. as a sexual predator, having been locked up in TD, TDCJ for 37 years, he would be very dangerous. Very true. Hmm. I mean, you make a daggum good point, Lisa. I can't argue with that. That's a good point. So, if it were, if life without parole were a possibility, but Texas did not have that in 1996. Right. And basically, in Texas, in prison, as long as you don't seriously hurt or kill anybody, you can get out. You get because it's oh. it's ironic. They're they're Texas is, you know, very uh, very much the death penalty, capital punishment, capital of the world. However, they don't like keeping people incarcerated. No, they don't seem to. <laughs> so. And everybody yet again thinks <clears throat> the Texas doesn't give fair shakes. Right, exactly. And that's, you know, well, that's another issue I've been dealing with. Um, criminal cases are a case-by-case basis. You look at the facts of that specific case and it doesn't matter what happened in this case or that case or the other case Um, you can look at what happened in cases in Bastrop and if you have similar cases okay you may have you know you may have something going but it doesn't matter in Rodney Reed's case cases in Chicago or New York Brooklyn are not relevant to Rodney Reed's case would they not be Lisa when you get to the federal level? No, because the federal district court in Texas is in Texas. Okay. And well, the appellate court is in New Orleans. Isn't press isn't legal precedent a pretty big deal in these things? That's what I'm asking as far as like uh Well know, US U.S. Supreme Court precedent is a big thing, mm-hmm. 
but precedent in Ronnie Reed's case would come only from the Fifth Circuit. Okay. okay. Or the U.S. Supreme Court. What some other jurisdiction did, and, you know, people are all, I got a bunch of articles on Twitter today about a wrongful conviction case in Dallas and a, a cop framing people in Brooklyn and um, people being framed in Chicago. And those, you know, while they're horrible things that happen to other people, they're not relevant to Rodney Reed's case. Huh. Okay. So, all right. So we will, like I said, we will in two weeks on Wednesday, November 20th, we will be talking about the Rodney Reed case. And I think what we're going to do is focus on what's been presented to the courts, why the courts did not grant him relief on those issues, and then what has never been presented in a court but is going around social media and is being claimed in um, advocacy articles and briefs to various courts. Okay. So, so tonight we're talking about Christopher Daniel Dunch. Okay, that's a hell of a name, by the way. Yeah, um, he was uh, born in Montana, and at about one age one, his family moved to Memphis, Tennessee, and he went to school in Memphis. Um, I think he went to one of the prestigious Christian schools. And I get the impression that his family was somewhat well-off and perhaps connected in Memphis. Um, He had aspirations to play football, but he was not particularly talented. Okay. And so to, to compensate for his lack of talent... He was he was observed by coaches to work very hard to uh, raise up his level of of play. Okay. He attended. A, he went initially went to college, I think, in Colorado, and then he switched to another school, and then he went to University of Memphis. And by the time he got to University of Memphis he had lost his eligibility to play college football. So his sports dreams were dashed. Um, At that point, he decided to go to medical school, and he actually was at the University of Tennessee, uh, their medical school in Memphis, which is very prestigious, uh, a very good program, He completed a residency internship and then a fellowship in neurosurgery. He and two colleagues invented a stem cell process for uh, potential replacement of damaged discs. So you take the patient's stem cells, you grow them a new disc, and then you replace their... Uh, injured, damaged discs 
with their own, you know, disc. It's a, it's a great thing. They've got patents on that. Um, however, yeah. Dunch was pushed out of the company because of allegations of mismanagement, drug use, and a few other things. He also had a drug use accusation during his either internship and residency. He was out partying all night and then put on his lab coat and went to went to round the hospital. I mean, um, I'm not advocating drug he, use, but the guy was still, you know, seemed pretty damn smart. Right. He did. He he really did. I think but I think the problem was he was very very intelligent, but he had a like his lack of aptitude with football. He had a lack of aptitude with medicine and surgery. Right, right. So he goes to Texas. He decides to go to Dallas area. Initially, he's going to be at a a facility called Minimally Invasive Spine Institute, which is essentially an outpatient uh, uh, facility that they do the laparoscopic type, not laparoscopic because it's, it's going to be spine, not abdomen, but a small incision, everything's, you know, done with imaging. And so it's much better recovery time, much shorter recovery time, uh, much less impact and danger of general anesthesia and more traditional surgery. Uh, apparently, okay. he did a surgery on a patient, and then he got on a plane to go to Las Vegas mm-hmm. and left the patient in the hospital, possibly having complications. It's wow. not really clear in the records, uh, but he was... Uh, fired by minimally invasive. Baylor Plano Hospital at that time was trying to get a neurosurgery department off the ground. And so Baylor Plano was more than happy to pay Christopher Dunch $600,000 as a kind of signing bonus. And this is where I think Christopher Daniel Dunch's ego went out of control. Mm-hmm. So he goes to Baylor Plano, and he performs multiple surgeries there, and several patients, and it, and it's a pretty inordinately high number, experience more pain when they wake up from their surgery than they had before they went in for surgery, and some of them even end up with. Uh, permanent paralysis, partial paralysis, loss of feeling in limbs and feet um, after their their surgeries with dunce. The first patient was Kenneth Fennell. His surgery was Mm -hmm. November 14, 2011. Then 
Dunst operated on a woman by the name of Mary Eford, but he operated on the wrong level. Mm-hmm. So okay. she had a little bit of relief, but not permanent relief. And then a gentleman by the name of Lee Passmore, who was a an investigator for the coroner's office in Collin County, saw Dr. Dunch, and Dr. Dunch had an overinflated opinion of himself. He would tell colleagues, he the 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 neurosurgeons in Dallas are butchers. They're maiming people. They're horrible. I'm going to clean this town up. Single-handedly going to do it. And really? in reality, no it was Dunch. Yeah, yeah he was very arrogant. And wow. you know, like I said, he didn't he didn't have the aptitude to back up the arrogance. And he didn't have the sense to see when he screwed up. Everybody else was wrong, but he was always right. Right. So uh Lee Passmore went in his surgery was December 31st, 2011. At some point during the surgery, there was heavy, heavy bleeding. And a vascular surgeon who was assisting, because with some types of neurosurgery on the spine, depending upon the surgical approach, for example, if they're doing a cervical, they go in through the front of the neck, a vascular insur- surgeon is actually the, the surgeon that makes the incision, gets everything ready for the neurosurgeon to come in and do what he needs to do on the, the vertebrae and the spine. So uh, he stopped the surgery and told Dutch, you're going to hurt somebody. Right. And then canceled all other procedures that he had scheduled with Dunst after that point. Um, Passmore, of course, had to undergo a second procedure on January 6, 2012. And that resulted in more pain than he had before he went in for the surgery. Um, he had some issues with the nerves in his neck. So he can't run, he can't swim, he can't walk long distances. He had to give up his investigator's job and go on desk duty at the coroner's office and then eventually had to retire. Mm-hmm. Um, the next patient, just five days later, Barry Morgoloff, on January 11, 2012, again, he came in for some Minor lower back in issues that because he did, uh, I think he had a pool company. Um, and probably, I think, minor neck issues. And during the surgery, there was heavy bleeding again because Dunch would take out bone and expose a vertebral, a vertebral artery. And exposing the artery you risk nicking or cutting the artery. 
and that causes heavy bleeding. Um, so Dunch's answer when he cut, he nicked the artery or cut it was to pack it with a hemostatic foam that's designed to, to slow bleeding. He packed in so much foam that it compressed the spinal cord. So Mr. Morbeluff is paralyzed or partially paralyzed and has no feeling in his left foot and that was not an issue for him when he went into the hospital for his surgery. And then his next surgery was Jerry Summers and he also was paralyzed and in more pain. Um, He's paralyzed from the neck down. He's quadriplegic. It's partial paralysis so he can feel pain but he has no movement. Um, and I think, actually, I was mistaken, Mr. Summers with the gel foam. And that was on February 2nd, 2012. Okay. So he's got three patients within a month, a little bit less than a month, that have had these outcomes. And doctors who reviewed the cases later all said that the outcomes for these patients were not they were potential complications, but they were complications mm-hmm. that some of these guys had never seen in 40 years of practicing. Really? Yeah. Um, the great. next, after Pathmore, Morgulis, excuse me, and Jerry Summers, Baylor Plano briefly suspended Dunch's privileges or Dunch uh, surrendered his privileges while Baylor Plano investigated. In March, Baylor Plano decided to restore his privileges and tell him he could only told him he could only do simple surgeries. His next patient, Kelly Martin, had fallen from a ladder. They tried conservative treatment. This was around Christmas time. They tried conservative treatment. She didn't improve. So Dr. Dunch was going to do a microlaminectomy. Why are they still letting this to do stuff? Well, you know, Dunch had a reason for every bad outcome that didn't involve his incompetence. But at this point, it's almost as much on the hospitals letting him do this as it is on the freaking doctors. We'll we'll get into that a little bit later. That that is a topic we're going to talk about. Okay. Okay. So Kelly Martin goes in, and like I said, this is a simple surgery. Um, During the surgery, the anesthesiologist starts noticing that Ms. Martin's blood pressure is dropping and she can't get it back to normal. And Dunch just continues the surgery. He has no idea. Um, They finish the surgery, take her. She has to go to ICU. She immediately starts having complications and uh, her blood pressure is down. She starts coding. They work on her. They're unable to bring her back, and she passes away. 
when she's sent to the Collin County Coroner's Office for autopsy, the coroner finds her, or medical examiner finds her belly full of blood, which means somehow in a simple surgery, Dunch nicked an artery in the abdomen. And when when the blood pressure starts dropping, you need to address that. You need to get somebody yeah. in there to address it, like a vascular surgeon. Yeah. He doesn't do any yeah. of those things. I was about to say, did anyone inform him? Because you said, you know, she noticed it, but the doctor kept going. Did she, anyone tell him? She informed him. There's a culture, and it's a culture in cockpits and some doctor's offices, and some surgery suites. There's a culture of doctors being God and everyone else just peons. Right. And so some, and, you know, you have people who need their jobs. So they have to tread very carefully in how they're going to deal with a jerk. Like Dutch, and uh, you know, I, I, I say he is a jerk. He is an arrogant jerk who thinks he's always right and everybody else is wrong, and he's smarter than everybody else. And he can do what he wants to do, and everybody else just has to suck it up, Buttercup. And so, um, and they didn't know. I guess there wasn't because it was in the abdomen. They weren't observing blood. And so they they didn't know exactly what caused it. Again, when you have a situation where a patient's blood pressure is dropping, you get somebody in there to figure out why. But that why? didn't happen. And um, so after Kelly Martin's death, um, the coroner ruled it therapeutic misadventure. Oh, Dunch received, requested and received a copy of the autopsy report going to come into play later. Um, mm-hmm. It took him a few months. Uh, he lied to his next hospital, Dallas Medical Center, to get privileges there. He said he had no, he had one bad outcome while he's at Baylor Plano. Um, they never surrendered his license or had it revoked or surrendered his privileges or had them revoked. And um, Dallas Medical Center ended up giving him privileges at their hospital. His next patient was Floella Brown. Obviously doesn't do their due diligence because I'm sure... Again, withhold withhold some of that because we are going to discuss that issue later as well. Um, So he operates on Floella Brown on... uh, July 24, 2012. Her surgery does not go well. Uh, At some point during the surgery, he he compressed a vein or artery in her neck, cutting off blood, blood flow to the brain. So she ended up having a massive stroke. The next day, Mary Eford comes in for her surgery, 
Hopefully he's going to do the right level this time on J- July 25th while Floella Brown is in the ICU with increasing intracranial pressure. Um, during Mary Eford's surgery, Dunch wants to go and drill a hole in Floella Brown's head. And that'll solve the problem. Luckily, Dallas Medical Center would not allow him to do that because they didn't have the proper equipment for that. So she was transferred to another hospital. Another doctor came in and basically said there's nothing that can be done for her. She was on life support. The damage was too uh, severe, and so they took her off life support, and she passed away. Damn. During Mary Eford's surgery, he actually, in spite of three people in the OR telling him he did not have hardware properly positioned, he told them he could see the hardware. He didn't need the fluoroscope, which is the live x-ray that's done when they do um, a lot of laparoscopic type procedures. They use an x-ray to make sure that everything's properly positioned. And he said he could physically see, he could visualize what he was doing, and it was right. And carried on doing what he was doing. He drilled holes in vertebra that should not have holes in them. He uh, didn't properly position any of the screws. He positioned a cage that's meant to stabilize in the muscle tissue and unfortunately when Miss Eford woke up she had more pain and she had some uh, partial paralysis Jesus at least she woke up though we'll say that yes and then uh, between September of 2012 and June of 2013, he did several more surgeries. And again, each of these patients, he cut one patient's vocal cords. He removed nerve roots um, in the last surgery that he performed in June of 2013 uh, on a gentleman by the name of Jeff Glidewell he mistook the muscle for a tumor and tried to cut it out. How in the hell? When the bleeding started, he packed a sponge in and then sewed Mr. Glidewell up with the sponge inside, which leaving a sponge inside causes infection. You're fucking kidding me. No. So, uh, that's 12 that I could find. There were, in the uh, materials, the state's materials on appeal and in the trial court, he had 33 patients with negative outcomes that while some of them were a, were a known potential complication, again, other neurosurgeons had never had a patient have that complication. 
my um, goodness. So, and then there were other doctors who saw the problem and wanted to do something about it. But again, a little bit later, we'll talk about why this is difficult. And it's not just in this case, it's difficult everywhere in every hospital, in every state, in every county, parish, whatever. Uh, Dr. Markle, he was the vascular surgeon assisting with the uh, Robert Lee Passmore procedure on December 31st. And he's the one that told Dunch, you're going to hurt somebody. Uh, Dr. Martin Lazar, who was a neurosurgeon, he reviewed several of the cases for civil attorneys because there were several lawsuits against Dunch and Baylor Plano Hospital. Um, I can imagine. And, you know, I mean, he he basically, he could not believe that a trained neurosurgeon who had done a fellowship at University of Tennessee could possibly be that incompetent or inept. And then Dr. Robert Henderson was a spine surgeon. He did a repair on Mary Eford after her second surgery. And he's the one discovered the malpositioned hardware and, and the holes in bone that didn't belong and, and those things. And then Dr. Rant, Randall Kirby, a vascular surgeon, had met Dunch and had been very put off by Dunch's arrogance. Um, it was Henderson and Kirby who began, uh, Dr. I'm sorry, Dr. Kirby also did a repair surgery for Jeff Glidewell to try and fix some of the damage that Dunch had done. Um, at that point, Dun- uh, Henderson and Kirby began lobbying the Texas Medical Board to not only to revoke uh, Dunch's license, but they also they wanted the medical board to do something so that Dunch could not go to another state and get licensed. He was licensed in Tennessee and Texas. The way it works, though, it's the same with attorneys. If your medical license in one state is suspended or revoked, then the sister, the second state will generally suspend or revoke your license. Good. Um, the hospitals that Dutch worked with, of course, minimally invasive spine, Baylor Plano, Dallas Medical Center, Legacy Surgery Center, which was probably, again, a more or less an outpatient uh, facility. And then he also tried to get on with the University General Hospital uh, in Dallas. Methodist Hospital, when he tried to get privileges there, they actually ended up reporting him to the physician's data bank, which is the first chance that other states and other facilities would get to find out that something's wrong with the way a doctor is practicing medicine, whether it's incompetence and malpractice or um, ethically or billing or whatever. Um, But one of the problems is that unlike most 
civil statutes that say you cannot use a remedial measure to prove negligence. Right. There are no similar statutes in medical malpractice law that say you can't use a hospital's investigation of a physician to prove the hospital's negligence in allowing that physician to continue practicing. So a problem that you have is when a physician has bad outcomes, as often as Dunch did, Mm -hmm. the reaction, right or wrong, but, you know, the, the natural reaction of the hospital and the hospital administration is we can't say he did anything wrong because if we know he did something wrong, we can be held liable. Right. And when you have somebody like Dunch, you're looking at basically losing any malpractice insurance that you already have that is very costly. And when you can't carry malpractice insurance, you close your doors. And then a community loses medical care or loses a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the reaction. And whether it's mm. whether it's right or wrong, I mean, Texas limits general damages, non-economic damages, for <laughs> pain and suffering, mental anguish, loss of enjoyment in life, those non-pecuniary damages to $250,000. Mm-hmm. So no matter how how long you've suffered, how much pain you've been through, you're only the most you can ever recover is two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Your medical bills and future medical care, you can recover more. Uh-huh. You're you can recover your actual medical bills and future care you you can recover I think they kind of uh, discount it for present value. Right, but um, it, it it's very difficult. And like I said, the hospitals, if they admit something's wrong with this doctor, they're opening themselves up to liability for every screw up he's made since he's been there. You also mm-hmm. have a problem with the fact that. Taking any action against Dunch and, you know, saying to a new hospital, he's horrible, he's a butcher, don't give him a scalpel, Dunch could turn around and sue the hospital for slander or libel and say, I was going to make $2 million a year, so y'all got to pay me for the rest of my life. Really? And that even even if you bring those patients in and on the defense, you're still looking at litigation costs and and that type of damage claim would not be covered by insurance. Okay. And so and some of these you know some of these hospitals are for profit, but 
but some may be community-type hospitals. So they're not profit or not-for-profit status. I don't know. Um, But even if they are for profit, the profit's going to go down the toilet if they end up either in malpractice, multiple malpractice litigation, or a libel, slander claim, or defamation claim by Dunch. So that's why they reacted the way they did. To kind of keep it quiet, uh, after Kelly Martin died, Dunch did resign from Baylor Plano. But Baylor Plano could not say to Dallas Medical Center he was a problem, he had interpersonal issues, etc., because Dunch could have turned around when Dallas Medical Center would not give him privileges. He could have turned around and sued Baylor Plano. And it's the same in employment now. Right. Uh, Employers will not talk about problem children. They will merely confirm Mm -hmm. dates of employment, salary, and that they were actually employed where they said they were for the period that they said they were. Now, if you're a good employee you'll generally get a good recommendation. And so, you know, HR people should see if you call an employer to confirm and you don't get a good recommendation, that person might not have been the best employee they'd ever had. Right. But um, so that's, that's the problem. And that's why the hospitals, and they do it everywhere. Um, We have a family friend who uh, died during surgery, and her surgeon, after the surgery, they found out her surgeon had multiple malpractice claims. He'd lost his license in another state, but it hadn't quite made it to Louisiana yet, so he still had his Louisiana license. And he did kind of the same thing. He was doing a surgery. He couldn't see the field. He nicked an artery. He didn't recognize that he nicked an artery, and he didn't call anybody into the operating room until it was too late to save her. Wow. And so, you know, her family's in the waiting room, and another doctor they've never seen before comes out and tells her that she passed. Mhm. So, um and finally on June 26, 2013, the Texas Medical Board did suspend Dunch's license. They did an investigation and on December 6, 2013, they revoked his license. Good. Um yeah. So, he left and he went to Colorado. In the meantime, Ms. Eford, Mr. Fennell, Mr. Passmore, and Mr. Morgloff all filed lawsuits against Baylor Plano. And uh, one of the aims of their lawsuits was to find out how much Baylor Plano knew about Dunch and his problems uh, prior to hiring him and while he was at Baylor Plano. And it didn't help that when he went to Dallas Medical Center, 
he had similar cases, additional deaths, and more patients injured. Um, at that point, Dunch had gone to Colorado. Uh, apparently, there had been some word that he was just going to go to Colorado, get licensed in Colorado, and then pick up right where he left off with the aim of making buckets and buckets and buckets of money. Because that's right. what it was to him. It wasn't about helping people. He was probably a sociopath. So he had no emotion, no genuine feeling for anyone but himself. And right. so it was about how much money he could make. And, you know, like Bela Plano, they gave him $600,000, huge salary. And there were apparently some incentive, incentives for bringing patients and surgeries and other surgeons into Baylor Plano's program. Um, Dunch ends up, his, his life begins to spiral. He ends up with a DUI in Colorado. And then while he's in Texas visiting his children, uh, he ends up somehow or another having a psychiatric evaluation recommended. I looked and looked and looked and I couldn't find this. It is confidential. It didn't become part of the criminal trial. So I was unable to um, find a psych psychiatric evaluation to see if my um, armchair diagnosis is correct. Right. Then on another visit to Texas, he goes into a Walmart and he basically picks up a bunch of random things, puts them in the cart, takes a pair of Walmart pants and puts them on and puts his old pants in the cart. Uh, I guess he can say these aren't yours because they don't have your price tag on them. And uh, right. picks up a bunch of random, like he picks up a remote control, one of those universal remotes, but no TV. Uh-huh. Uh, he picks up a bunch of clothes, five watches, five pairs of sunglasses. Just goes and fills the cart with all these stuff. He goes to an ATM, gets $500, and then proceeds to wheel the cart out of the store past all the cashiers. Really? And loss prevention has him on video going through Walmart, putting all these things in the cart, concealing some in bags that are that he's got, I guess, brought in with him, and then um, and then wheeling the cart past the checkouts and trying to go. Now, that may be Walmart's fault because they didn't have enough cashiers on duty. And I'm oh, sure totally. if you ask Christopher Dunch, that would be exactly what it is. Well, they didn't have any cashiers on duty. So I thought that day was a free day at Walmart. Um, so he ends up being arrested. <laughs> and um, the Dallas district attorney had DA's prosecutors reviewing the medical records, consulting with doctors Henderson and Kirby and the other doctors, staff at Baylor Plano who were in the operating room with Dunch. And they put together a case. 
charges five assaults and one injury to an elderly person or child uh, are filed, and Dunch is arrested in, in July of 2015 on those six charges. Um, in pretrial, they get the court to allow them to admit records and testimony from five of the patients who had negative outcomes with Dr. Dunch, including Kelly Martin and Floella Brown. And I think Lee Passmore and Jerry Summers and Barry Mogulov all testified. Um, and they, the, when they go, by the time they get to trial, the case that they're going to pursue is the injury to Mary Eford. Right. Um, more likely than not, that's the one I think that they felt that they could prove with these five other cases and the expert testimony that they had. Um, they put together a pretty good case. And I think they were able to prove that he had these unusual outcomes. And there were many cases where, I mean, we know he did things wrong. And he was told he was doing them wrong, but he ignored that. Right. And then, of course, there's lying to Dallas Medical Center to get privileges there. Um, the defense's case was basically this was just medical malpractice. It wasn't criminal. And if anything, the people at fault are Baylor Plano and Dallas Medical Center, who never should have let Christopher Dunch in an operating suite. Right. And I have a feeling that that did not go over very well with the jury. Uh, Dunch was yeah. found guilty of of the uh, injury to Mary Eifert. And the jury found that he knew that he was causing harm and did it anyway. I feel Basically. like that's probably true. I feel like this guy just yeah. wanted to be like, just got in the body sometime after you describing mm-hmm. some of this stuff and was like, ooh, I wonder what would happen if I did this. I, you know, I don't think it's necessarily that evil, but he didn't have a, he didn't have an in, any insight. Whereas, you know, I've known doctors who start out as surgeons and a patient dies, even though they didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't their fault. They, there was no medical negligence. But they just can't deal with that. And so they go to another practice. Yeah, right. Whereas this guy's going to freaking double down and be like, ooh, give me more. Yeah. And, you know, like oncologists, I think oncologists, to a degree, they have to be somewhat immune because they're dealing with a, a, a disease that is generally inevitable. It's just how much time can they get for right. the patient. 
and how much good time can they get for the patient. But, you know, a lot of other doctors, I, you know, I, I knew I had a friend who was an emergency room doctor. And he had a bad case come in, and he couldn't save it. It was a child. And he was like, I'm not doing emergency room anymore. And yeah, he went back to school, and he he decided to go into general practice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some people – and some people take it very hard, but then they, they deal with it, and they, they're able to move on, and they want to continue trying to help people. But like I said, I don't think Dunch was in it to help anybody except himself. Right. He was money hound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he he had some substance abuse abuse issues because after uh, Jerry Summers' surgery, Jerry Summers made the accusation in the ICU that he had been out doing cocaine and heroin with Dunch the night before the surgery. And interestingly enough, when the hospital had to investigate this accusation, when they went to Dunch, he said that um, he had to go check on a patient. He'd be right back, and then he'd disappear for three days. Wow. And there was another instance where the, the sample that he gave to be drug tested was diluted. He eventually was able to give a sample that was clean, but in the meantime, you know, he put tap water in his pee to try and (laughs) defeat the drug test. Um, And, you know, I wish, I kind of wish they were a little bit more, um, how can I say, draconian with doctors, because in a lot of industries where you're subject to drug testing, like if you drive a truck or a commercial vehicle, basically mm-hmm. they don't say, we'd like you to take a drug test. Is that okay with you? They say, here's a cup. Let's go to the bathroom. You right. have performance anxiety, yeah. run the water. And they, and they watch you until watch. you give a sample. Yeah. And if they had handled it that way, Somebody will check on your patient. Here's a cup. Let's go. (laughs) So, um, and uh, Dunch was sentenced by a jury after a sentencing phase. So there was a guilt-innocence phase and then a sentencing phase, and there was testimony by the various patients. And I I, I think just about every patient and family member of patients that he'd harmed was able to testify against him. He was sentenced to life in prison. It's a first-degree felony injury to an elderly person, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Well, I don't know, because you've gotten upset about a long prison sentence for stealing $50. True, true. Good point. I I wasn't sure if you would be on board with, uh, you know, as far as the criminal case against him, they didn't. They didn't pursue criminal charges related to Kelly Martin or Floella Brown. Well, I mean, the bastard killed someone. I mean, I'm pretty sure that, you know, he killed he two people. deserves whatever yeah. he gets. 
Yeah. Right. Pretty but I, I don't think that they could prove – the most they could prove was manslaughter more likely than not in those two cases. And, um, you know, that too, as we saw with Amber Geiger, could result in, you know, hardly any jail time. And the other thing with the charges, the criminal charges and the conviction is that Dunch, even if he gets out of prison, when he gets out of prison, he has a felony record and no state is going to give a medical license to a felon. Good. Just yeah. So, um, so, well, I guess we're just going to power through because we don't have a whole lot to go. <laughs> it's not a cloud. You want to take a quick break? I mean, Let's do a quick break. You need a break? Okay. Well, Let's do a quick break. We'll be... Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with more clear and convincing after this. See Arkansas favorites like Cataclysm, Ace Muta, the original Misfit, Josh Cross, Suicide King, Ray Ray, Insane Shane, and current AWO champion D-Mike. As they battle for redemption this Saturday in Ola at 307 West Hill Street. Doors open at 530. Concessions will be available. And this is a family-friendly show with kids under six getting in free. It's Redemption. Brought to you by the Arkansas. Quiet. 
I was like, wow. Like, as soon as I was getting ready to turn off the music, I always, 10 seconds before I turn off the music, I unmute. Yeah, I look up and uh-huh. I'm like, well, damn, I think she was quiet. Yeah, I I uh I try to be, because I didn't hear it say muted. Right. Sometimes I sing along though, so I apologize in advance <laughs> if that ever happens. Hey, that is a good song. All right. So Dunch's direct appeal. Um, his case is not a capital case, so it goes first to the court of appeal rather than the Court of Criminal Appeal. So his case was decided by the 5th District Court of Appeal in Texas. Um, they have, it's similar to Jacob. No, Rodney Reed is at the Court of Criminal Appeal and will always be at the Court of okay. Criminal Appeal because it's a capital case. Wow. Um, I... I may be mistaken, but I think even if you're conv- if you're convicted of capital murder, but you're sentenced to life, your case still is decided by the C- Court of Criminal Appeals. I could be wrong about that, but okay, uh, that is how they that is how they do it, and a lot of states do it that way. If it's less than a capital conviction, um, no death penalty. Then you you go to a court, an intermediate court of appeal before going to the highest court, which in Texas for criminal cases is a court of criminal appeal. Right. Uh, okay. They they had a few minor issues with the trial court record. Um, it took the court reporter some time to transcribe the record, and they had I guess exhibits that were incomplete. So they went back and forth, and that seems to happen in Dallas. Because that's mm-hmm. similar to the problem that they had in uh, Darley Routier, although uh, it wasn't as, as bad as the problem with Routier. Because at least the court okay. reporter in Dunch's case was, was proficient and competent. Um, mm-hmm. I think the trial, the trial lasted... 21 days, I think. So it was a pretty long trial. Right. Yeah. So, uh, but they eventually got the uh, trial record complete. And the issues raised by Dunch, he raised three issues. Uh, He raised issues regarding evidentiary rulings made by the trial court. Uh, The first one was allowing the testimony regarding the other bad outcome surgeries, including Kelly Martin and Floella Brown. And his argument was those were admitted solely for the purposes of inflaming the jury and making him mad at him. And then also there was an email, and it's called the Occam's Razor email, where basically in the email it was sent – Sometime in 2011, prior to uh, the first surgery of Mr. Fennell, but it basically was Dunch saying, you know, I'm going to become the killer that I'm meant to be. Oh, wow. And, you know, he talks about being a cold mf and it's it's 
you read it and it's like delusional that he thinks he's so great and he's right. right. Um, and then he also challenged the sufficiency of the evidence and basically that the prosecution had failed to prove that his conduct was intentional, knowing, or reckless. Mm-hmm. And basically his defense was this was medical malpractice, but it was never criminal. It was just he was a bad surgeon, and the hospitals didn't do enough to keep him out of the operating suites. Mm-hmm. But that's all it was. And uh, the oral argument, if you get a chance, uh, if you're out there listening, uh, the te- uh, Texas Court of Appeals has some oral arguments online, and the Fifth District Court has their oral arguments online. You just go to the Dunch docket on the 5th District Court of Appeals. Uh, If you have questions, go to our Facebook page, and I'll walk you all through finding their their website. And the oral argument basically was very interesting because, again, the attorneys couldn't defend Dunch's incompetence. Right. Even though Dunch himself tried to do that in a lengthy 31-page answer to one of the articles that came out after his arrest. Wouldn't and Lisa, honestly, I've got a question, though. Wouldn't it do him more harm to want to prove that he was competent? Well, no, there's no way that he could. I When right. you put when you put screws, well, first of all, when you operate on the wrong level of a spine, that's incompetence. It's like, you right. know, there are some, and it's interesting in medical malpractice law, in some cases, for example, in diagnosing cancer or a heart defect or something like that, generally, if you have a medical malpractice claim and you want to pursue it, you have got to have an expert that says that particular doctor breached the standard of care. Uh But in some cases, you don't need that because a, a lay person can figure that out. For example, leaving instruments in a patient after, after a surgery. That's not something you need an expert to say that's a breach of the standard of care. A layperson right. knows that's a breach of standard of care. Amputating the wrong limb is a breach of the standard of care. Spilling acid on a patient during a procedure is a breach of the standard of care. And a layperson can figure that out. Yeah. Lisa, are, we, are, are we using examples from him or are we just doing examples? I'm giving you examples of other types of of breaches that a layperson can recognize. Okay, okay. I was about to say he okay. poured acid on somebody. No, 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 no. He didn't. In in some, I think in dermatology and some other other types of medicine, they do use acid, like to remove right. moles or warts. Or to, right. remove, to remove warts. And 
I, I mean, I, I remember a case many, 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 many years ago where the child, the doctor, the bottle that the doctor was taking the solution from slipped out of his hand and spilled on the patient's arm. Oh. And not even the arm with the wart on it. And nowhere oh. near the wart. Um, so that was that was why, you know, I, I mentioned that. So yeah, removing a wrong limb, uh operating on the wrong body part. So for his case, there are some things you don't need an expert to tell you. Putting right. a spinal stabilizer device, which is what the cage is, in the muscle tissue, nowhere near the spine, where you can see it on the x-ray, it is something it's, that's, you know, malpractice. Yeah. That breaches the standard of care. Yeah. So um, the direct appeal was decided in December of 2018. Uh, after, I believe he asked for a rehearing, two judges basically affirmed his conviction, and a single judge dissented. And basically the dissent just felt that the knowing uh, element was not proved. Right. Uh, but two judges the two judges that stands his, his convictions affirmed. Um, I think he asked for an en banc review by the entire 5th District, which was denied. He then filed a petition for discretionary review by the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, which was also denied. And um, he did not file a writ to the U.S. Supreme Court which he should have filed if he was going to file one. It should have been, I think, in September. Uh-huh. So his conviction and sentence are now final. Uh, the next step, okay. of course, will be post-conviction review uh, based on new evidence or based on uh, constitutional error at his trial. Right. But to date, nothing has been filed. So, uh, Dunch, yeah, yeah, Dunch is now uh, TDCJ number zero two one three nine zero zero three, and he is at the OB Ellis unit in Huntsville, Texas. We're good. And he Wait, will be eligible for parole in twenty forty five. Huntsville's where the death chamber is, isn't it? Correct. Okay. Oh, he gets to look at Although that. I, I'm sure he's that. Well, the 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 facility in Huntsville may be quite large, and the OB uh-huh. Ellis unit may not be exactly where the death chamber is. Okay. So, um, that is. Pretty much it. He's eligible for parole in 2045 because in Texas, life sentence doesn't necessarily mean life. Do you 
I mean, Lisa, I have a hard time not seeing if he makes it to 2045. I have a hard time not seeing him get paroled, though, honestly. Like, I'm saying I don't think he should, but I can see it happening. You know what I'm saying? And that is going to depend upon his conduct while he's in prison. And we Mm -hmm. have an arrogant, full of himself, smarter than everybody else, I'm a doctor, personality. Um, And I think it's also going to depend on whether by 2445 he gains any insight into himself, which would allow him to say, uh, yes, I I did horrible things. I should have the first bad outcome that I had when a patient woke up in more pain than when he came in to see me, I should have gotten help. I had a drug problem. I should have gotten help. So that's going to end. He he could potentially change, but I don't know whether. And you know, like I said, he wrote a thirty-page answer to one of the articles where, of course, everybody's lying but him. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, Kelly Martin died. Because uh, she was allergic to fentanyl, I have the autopsy reports important. That's what it says. Um, you know, all these other patients, they did not have bad outcomes. They were fine, right? Or if they had a bad outcome, it was months later, and it had nothing to do with the surgery. Wow! What a prick! Yes, for sure. So, I mean, I'm sorry, um, ladies and gentlemen. That dude is special. Yeah, he is very special. So that is uh, that is installment number two of Mad Doctors. And I actually don't have any other Mad Doctor cases mm-hmm. at this time uh, because I haven't really well, found one that, that piques my interest. Well, we'll see what we can do. Uh, I know, I, I, I'm pretty sure we've talked about it. Have we talked about nurses? I'm pretty yeah, sure we've um, but Well, you know, like the nurse, I think it was in, um, she was in either Texas or Oklahoma. Uh, Janine Jones, I think was her name. Except I, I don't know if I really could deal with that case because it involved her murdering children, mm-hmm. young children, mm-hmm. and you know, unless she's already died in prison, I don't know if I really could handle researching and talking about that. Right. Because that. I'm mean, just thinking off the top of my head as far as mad doctors. Uh... I know he's dead now, and I'm not sure based upon what I've read about him, but uh, what about Kevorkian? Well, you know, I don't know. Kevorkian was 
basically end of life and and believing that people who had terminal illnesses or uh, conditions should be able to decide to end their lives on their own terms. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was criminal in most states, but that was basically assisted suicide. He was, I don't think that he was ever accused of convincing someone to kill themselves who didn't want to do it already. Right, right. So I don't know. Um, the, and I, I, as I recall, he basically got caught and, and was arrested, tried and convicted, did his time and came out of prison and did not publicly do anything more. Right, right. After that. He may have, because he may have wanted to change the laws. Um, And, you know, again, I think, um, I I don't know, that's kind of a little bit too philosophical for me, whether whether he's Mm -hmm. right or wrong. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. Oh, just wait, Lisa. Next week, we're going to have a debate, I have a feeling, because I don't think me and you are going to stand on the same side of this issue. Yeah, well, we'll see. (laughs) I mean, you may surprise me. You surprised me before, but I'll tell you right now, just on the limited knowledge of my memory of when they executed him and – what the newscasts were saying, which, of course, you know, a lot of the time I've learned since doing this show that a lot of the newscasts only put out the, you know, innocent side of it. But uh, I feel like he should have been commuted. Uh, yeah, we're not going to agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like he he changed. I, I do truly feel like he changed. Just based upon well, there I was think. a there was a bit of controversy, but we'll talk about that next week. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and you know, I mean, he he claimed he wasn't there; he didn't do it, so he didn't really change. True. Because even though the evidence was pretty overwhelming that he did do it. He still mm-hmm. convinced people that he was innocent. Good point. Good point. And so that, you know, to me, as I said with Larry Swearingen and a couple of other people, um, Kenneth Foster, you you can't get redemption by only admitting to what you're comfortable with admitting to. Right. You redemption, you have to admit the full extent of the wrong that you did even if you're not comfortable saying yeah I was one of the people responsible for that murder because I was driving the car I picked the guy out I pulled up in front of his house I watched the person get out of the car with the gun I gave him and go Mm -hmm. up to rob him and he was shot yeah. and killed during that robbery. Right. So, you well, know, you, you have to admit the full argument, extent of the wrong. 
I know Tukey, and I guess I kind of just let the cat out of the bag, but I know he, uh, I know you're saying he never really admitted he was wrong, which I remember that, but wasn't the main argument for commutation that, you know, he's done all these great things, so obviously, you know, he's a changed man, and prison's changed him? Well, yeah, but you know what? His book, anti-gang book that he wrote, he dedicated mm-hmm. it to a gang person. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and I think a couple you know of the other I... people that it was dedicated to were pretty pretty violent uh, people. But again, we'll have to, we'll get into that next week. Right, right. Okay, well, Lisa, let's... Toss a bow on it, and I'm going to go eat some tortilla soup. Oh, good. Sounds wonderful. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Thank, you for li- <laughs> Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook. Go to our blog at clearingconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com or follow me on Twitter at O'BrienLN. Join us on Monday, November 11th, 2019 at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for Episode 38, State of California versus Stanley Tukey Williams. The Louisiana native was an original founder and leader of the Crips in South Central Los Angeles. Williams was convicted and sentenced to death for murders committed during a series of armed robberies in February of 1979. Williams spent some of his time on death row preaching against the gang lifestyle, and professing his innocence. When his execution was set for December 13, 2005, that caused an uproar in the media, and Williams gained support from numerous celebrities and organizations that opposed capital punishment. Williams' request for clemency was denied by Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Williams was executed at San Quentin. We'll look at Williams' early life, his history with the Crips, his crimes, trial, direct appeal, and post-conviction challenges. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.